God's story and God's plan and will for us. And turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 28:26 says, "Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool." So, let's take Proverbs 17:24 to heart, that the discerning sets his face toward wisdom. Lines his life with that, pursues it, looks forward, upward, vertically to God for it. Because otherwise, the eyes of fools, they rest on this earth and on the end of the earth. They only look horizontally. So just reminders for us that we are to be seeking at all times to know the Lord's will, desire, plan, design for us and for how we live our lives, and we are to pursue that. So, let's not be a people who looks to the ends of the earth for answers, for we'll never find them there. Let's be ones who set our face, not just Sunday mornings, but day in and day out, toward the wisdom of God. Four quick things, try to make them quick, that I want to just briefly say All of these are really a continuing part of introducing Proverbs. I should have said them on the first Sunday, but uh, there's just too many things, and some of them just keep coming to me throughout. So, four quick, brief pastoral notes. Number one, I want to be clear, we are not studying Proverbs right now the best way. The best way is to open it up and start with the first sentence and go all the way through to the last sentence, and then rinse and repeat, and rinse and repeat, and continue. That's the, the intention of God in this is just over and over and over to layer in the truth. Now, I do think there's worth in what we're doing or we wouldn't be doing it. But I want to just remind us, because of all the books of the Bible, maybe this one the most, we tend to topicalize it all We want to take everything God says about a certain topic, put them all together, and come up with this nice little outline. And we certainly can do that. I'm actually seeking to help you each week in doing that. But uh, it is better, and perhaps even this summer, you might just start in 1-1 and read through and read through uh, at least a couple of times, even if you read a chapter a day, though... I just encourage you, go as far as being impacted by one or two Proverbs. And sometimes that's only a few verses. Sometimes it's longer. But being impacted, those speak to me now, or I know that I need these. And just pause and meditate on those and chew on those, because it's a book that is just so chock full of good things. Secondly, I want to encourage you, and not just for the book of Proverbs, but anytime we're studying something, to think about how you might supplement what we're doing on Sunday mornings. Perhaps it's getting a commentary of your own, or a devotional, or some other book about the book of the Bible that just helps you process and think through things more. Uh, There is so much that's free online from good, solid, biblical sources. Make sure that's what you're looking at. 
and finding articles and posts, whether it's on words right now or on a topic we're studying in Proverbs or as we read through Ephesians or whatever it might be. Designating time even to talk, whether it's with your family, with a good friend, somebody you are discipling, somebody who's, who you are looking to to help disciple you, and verbalizing and sharing these things. Part of the point is integrating God's word and God's truth into us takes a lot of watering and tilling of the dry, hard soil of our hearts. Way more than one 40-minute sermon can do. For example, today we'll highlight, if we get through all of them, about 55 Proverbs. It's a lot. So which ones will stick? Which ones will you continue to marinate in? And which ones perhaps do you need to do more reading, studying, thinking about? Third, these are faster now. The scriptures primarily emphasize the oral or spoken word as we're thinking about the words uh, that we speak. And that's because their cultures were largely oral. For us, we still have that, but we have a whole new realm of written words that are uh, important for us to think about. Just thinking about emailing, texting, posting, etc. These things filter or run through our lives an incredible number of words. I know we use a lot of it for visual and other things, but between speaking and writing and reading, the amount of words that these things we're processing through each week are vital. And so my admonition there is think beyond spoken word. I won't always say every single time written word or read word or whatever, but all the different means that we are processing words. And finally... I would encourage you, as with any scripture, but maybe even more so with Proverbs, to doubly listen. And what I mean by that is listening for yourself first and foremost, personalizing it, recognizing it in your own life, and then helping others, thinking through how you can help others in their sanctification as well, whether you're a parent, a friend, or in a disciple-making community. God's Proverbs are meant to shape us both individually and as a whole community. Proverbs 22, 17 to 19, and I'm going to start with the last line. So take your eyes to the last line. Tells us that God is making known to us, even today, even to us, his truth. So his exhortation is, number one, incline your own ear to hear the words of the wise. Apply them, your heart, to his, God's knowledge. It will be pleasant if you keep them within you. So all that's about personalizing it. But it's also good, God says, if you have them ready on your lips. That all of us, everyone you're sharing this with, is trusting in the Lord and in his ways. So, beware of automatically always thinking, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this. Oh, this is really good for this child of mine. First, start with you. But think also of all the ways in all the realms of your world where you might be able to share the Proverbs as well. So doubly listen. Okay, last week we began to consider some Proverbs on our tongues, words, speech, lots of different synonyms, synonyms there. All noting that words matter to God. 
He is a word-using God, and he cares deeply about all the words that we are using. And we kind of use Proverbs 18.21 as a launching point, as the format that the, our tongues and our words have power for both death or life. I really appreciated Ray Ortland's two descriptors there. Our words are either life-depleting or life-enriching to other people. We read this last week. I think it's good, again, to read these thoughts from Tim Challies. Words have immense power. Power to do such good and power to do such harm. Words can strengthen the weak or crush them, comfort the sorrowful or grieve them, relieve the burden or weigh them down all the more. Words can be the taste of life or a savor of death, a scent of heaven or a whiff of hell. They can do the work of God or of the devil, serve the cause of Christ or of his enemies. Words are so wonderful and so terrible, so beautiful and so horrible, so precious and so dreadful. Little wonder then that the Bible addresses our words so often and with such solemnity. For our words put a choice before us every day and in every moment. Every time we open our mouths, swipe our screens, tap our keyboards, we take to ourselves the power of life and death. Last week we focused on the very sobering use of our words that can lead toward death or be uh, death or life depleting. Words that mislead other people, deceiving, lying, bearing false witness. Words where we talk about other people in inappropriate ways, gossip and slander. Words that we speak hastily. Words that we speak needlessly, babbling, the scripture, the Proverbs call it. Harsh words, words that belittle. The ways that we use words to flatter with ulterior motives and words where we boast. We lack time to cover more, so I'm going to slip in six very quick ones, just as ones that may prompt some of you in particularly meaningful ways. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Boy, do we see that in our world today. Let us beware. Proverbs 4.24, and then I connect it a little bit to Proverbs 6.12 to 14, which both talk about crooked speech and the damage of, again, words that are not straight and honest and sincere and genuine. Similarly, Proverbs 26, 22 on the next slide tells, compares our quarrelsome words to charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, as in going around and kindling strife. All the ways that we can use words for fighting. Proverbs 11, 9. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. And we can think that doesn't happen here, but words have destroyed churches. Words have destroyed marriages. Words have blown up families. Words have done, wreaked all kinds of havoc in the business world, in sports, in all kinds of other ways. It is very easy to be destructive with our words. Proverbs 17.5, sobering. Whoever mocks the poor, feels no sympathy for them, sees himself as above them, insults the maker of the poor. And Proverbs 20, 21, 
a warning for all of us in this day and age where parents are blasted for all their shortcomings. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in utter darkness. So let me encourage you to keep asking God to show you, to reveal to you, to convict you when you speak foolish and sinful words that dishonor God. May God wash our mouths with his soap all of our lives that they would become ever pure. Today, part two, ways that the wise or the righteous use words with intentionality to honor God, to be instruments for God's purposes. So equal to the fact that our words can be incredibly harmful, they can also be tremendously helpful and good. Our goal in life should not just be to not say bad words or foolish words, but to replace those with words that are honoring to God. And Ephesians 4.29 captures that. So we're moving from Proverbs here for just a moment, although you'll see some of these same thoughts in some Proverbs coming up. But this just contrasted. Not only don't let any corrupting talk come out, but replace that. Let there instead be words that are good for building people up, that fit whatever the dynamics are of the occasion you're in, and give grace to everybody who hears them or reads them. Anthony Salvaggio, our speech is more than damage control. It's a lifelong effort to pass along to others the grace and love God has given us. May our goal be what wisdom itself speaks in Proverbs 8, 8, and 9, that all the words of our mouth are righteous, that there's none that are twisted or crooked. All of them are straight. All of them are right. And one final thought as we go to prayer. Think throughout all of these how our glorious Lord Jesus spoke this way. We'll look at about seven different categories of Proverbs or ways of speaking that are God-honoring, God-pleasing ways to use words. And Christ is such a model of them in all. Father, as we come now to your word again, we acknowledge our inadequacy to understand it and to live it out and obey it apart from you. So we come to your pure, sinless, wise, life-giving, heart-transforming words and ask for your spirit to use them to transform our own words so that we understand you and your ways better, remember them better, and live them out so that we are more like your son who never spoke anything but wise, righteous, God-honoring words. Make our tongues more like Jesus' tongue, I pray. In your name, amen. Category number one is a broad one. I just kind of called it. So God uses this life-giving idea quite often in Proverbs for multiple things, but including that with words. And these are just vivid word pictures that I just wanted to start with and note. That the mouth of the righteous God calls a fountain if you just think of all the water in a fountain and all the ways that it's being expressed in beautiful ways, that's part of what a fountain is intended to do, is that it's life-giving. He speaks of that both in Proverbs 10 and in Proverbs 13. And then in Proverbs 15, he gives this graphic description of 
This gentle, which is one of the traits of a wise, righteous person, they have a gentle tongue. And here again, as we noted on that first Sunday that we opened Proverbs, God uses this tree of life picture of, and, and we'll note some words that give fruit, but the idea is that those who speak white, righteously and wisely are acting as a tree that gives life to those who hear our words. Other word pictures that God uses that just broadly, very generally describe the blessings that our words can be. Next slide, if you would. <clears throat> Proverbs 10, 21. We feed many. We bring nourishment to people. The tongue of the wise brings healing where people are hurting and broken. Proverbs 18, 4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. And then Proverbs 16, much like Psalm 19, speaking of God's words, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. When our words are dripping with God's grace, they are good, they are nourishing, they bring life to people, especially when we are speaking the truth, God's truth, using his word and his principles to share with others. Second category that I kind of tried to form some of these in a grouping is that the wise and righteous discern how best to use their words within all the dynamics of a particular situation that they're in, whether it's home, business, elsewhere. First of all, that the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. So this is the contrast to the babbling fool and to the one, the fool who has hasty words that we talked about last week. The wise and righteous are pondering, are thinking, are contemplating, are examining, are weighing their words against God's words and God's purposes. If you think about it, so many of our foolish words are the words that first come rushing out of our mouth. First thought that pops into our head we express and often later regret. The righteous ponder. They're slow. We'll hear more of those. Proverbs 25, 11. For me personally, a particularly powerful word picture. A number of you have probably heard me share this in situations where you've talked about with me about words. A word fitly spoken. And fitly involves all kinds of things. What Saying something or not saying it. When to say it. How to say it how much to say at that time and how much to leave unsaid and who to say it to. The tone, the volume, the closeness, all of those things come into what it means to speak a word fitly to a situation. But God describes it as a work of art. It's taking apples of gold and putting them into this elaborate, beautiful settings of silver. He speaks in Proverbs 10 and in Proverbs 20 about the costliness or the value, the worth, the beauty, the choice silver and the precious jewels that our words can be. And then along the same line with a different take, Proverbs 15, 23, to make an apt, that's very similar to fitly spoken up above, to make an apt answer, one that's really fitting for the situation, is a joy to a man. And a word in season, when it's perfectly ripe to share that word, Oh, how good it is. 
So it's this spirit-led sense in our conversations with our spouses, in our conversations with our kids, in our conversations with friends, in our conversations in our work world, in our conversations with our neighbors, seeking to have words that are choice silver, precious jewels, like apples of gold in settings of silver. Somewhat along the same line is this next little cluster of Proverbs. Proverbs 10.32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable or what will be accepted well. Proverbs 23.16, my inmost being exalts when your lips speak what is right. Proverbs 16.13, righteous lips are a delight of a king or of pastors and elders or of family members or of church members or of a business. Righteous lips overall, not always widely accepted, but overall will be a delight even to those who lead. And those who lead love those who speak what is right. Key, what's acceptable and right in God's eyes, not just what we feel in the given moment. I'm going to jump you now to a New Testament principle. Don't do this too often, but occasionally there's a New Testament verse that just seems to speak powerfully right along these same lines. And this is Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always, in every situation, with all people, no matter the tension or the difficulty, let your speech always be gracious, grace-filled, grace-soaked, soaked in the grace of God, marinated, seasoned with salt, like putting a good rub on a good meat. Let your words have grace flavor them so that you know how you ought to answer each person. Every situation, every person and individual that you're with, that God would grant you the grace to answer most fittingly and appropriately for that person in that situation. A few more just along this same line of using the best words. Proverbs 15.2 ends with, And I'm going to start with it. The mouths of fools, they just pour out folly. A lot of hot air. Nothing of lasting value. But in contrast, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, makes truth attractive, uh, speaks of it in a way that causes others to note it. Same with Proverbs 15, 7. And then two Proverbs that speak of the mouth being wise. Proverbs 10, 31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom in all situations. And then Proverbs 31, 26. And I'll remind you of this often, but Proverbs 31, most of the chapter, the last three-fourths of it, we think of as the excellent wife or the excellent woman, which is how the, how the, the section starts. But it really is a way of summarizing the whole book and pulling out all the big themes and putting them together in the life of one individual, an excellent woman or an excellent man. And among those summarizing descriptions of a proverbed person is that they open their mouth. Every time they're open, whenever their mouth opens to talk or their fingers to type, what comes out is wisdom. And a kind teaching is always on the tongue. So wisdom is not only what you know, your knowledge, but how to use it, how to share it, depending on who you're with and what is going on. But making the most of every teachable moment. Third category 
is that wise and righteous words have, and this is another kind of general one, it's got a variety in it, but just all kinds of positive effects that the Proverbs speak of. Proverbs 12.25 is identifying how anxious or worrisome people can be and how weighed down they get with that anxiety. And a good word, a wise word, a righteous word makes that individual glad or alleviates some of that downness in that weight. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer, as counterintuitive as this is, a soft answer turns away wrath, brings peace to a situation where there's tension, where there's potential anger, where it can be explosive. A soft answer prevails. Proverbs 16.21 says that sweetness of speech, so there's that flavoring again of our words with God's grace, increases persuasiveness. And right behind it, two verses later, judicious speech, just, fair, right speech, adds persuasiveness to people's words. And then two more in this broad category. Proverbs 22, 11. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Meaning, good leaders appreciate people who speak wisely and rightly. And Proverbs 25, 15, with patience a ruler may be persuaded. And here comes a powerful depiction of how powerful a soft or gentle or gracious word can be. It can break a bone. Two traits there that will get you a long way. A patient, gentle spirit that speaks patient, gentle words. A lot of my life I li wish I could live over in that. Fourth category, and we'll go a little bit faster with these. A wiser the wiser righteous are always honest. So this is just a quick reminder. Last week we saw three slides full of lying, deception, and bearing false witness and how God hates that. In contrast, here's some of the verse parts that we skipped last week, and now we look at the contrast, the speaking of truth. We're giving honest evidence, will not lie no matter what, and the beautiful effects are that it saves life, lives and it's like kisses on the lip. Again, honesty is so critical in our lives to God, but also to others. Nobody likes to be lied to. Remember last week, lying is an expression of hatred. No matter how else you're trying to justify it, you are basically saying, I do not consider you worth saying the truth too. According to Ephesians 4.15 in the New Testament, just four familiar words there, that five, we are to speak the truth always with love. Even when it hurts, which is the next point, honesty is always the best policy. Fifth category, wise and righteous words may first initially wound or hurt somebody, not be received particularly well, but in the long run, over time, uh, corrective, much like surgery is for us. We could probably do a whole sermon on just rebukes. Maybe we will later in the summer. But here, particularly, is the willingness to speak an open rebuke rather than hidden love where we're not doing anything about a bad situation. Then the next proverb, faithful are the wounds that a friend will cause you. An enemy, they'll kiss you to death 
with flattery and all kinds of other things. But the wounding words of a friend are some of the most powerful and important words that we hear. They literally can change the course our life is on. Charles Bridges, and this is more about receiving rebukes than giving them, but they work both ways, and it really captures, I think, the power of rebuke. Who is a friend who is a real blessing to my soul? Is it the one who will humor my fancies and flatter my vanity? This comes far short of my need. I am a poor, strained sinner with a wayward will and a blinded heart going wrong at every step. The friend for my case is the one who will watch over me with open rebuke, a reprover when necessary, not a flatterer, and I would add there, or one who just affirms everything I do, which is what I see a lot happening in the, this day and age, even sin. If it's our friend, we affirm it. The genuineness of friendship without rebuke is more than doubtful, its usefulness utterly paralyzed. And now he turns to the health. Rebuke kindly, considerately, and prayerfully administered cements friendship rather than weakens it. The mark of true godliness is a concern to have our faults pointed out and a thankfulness to those who undertake the self-denying office. A true friend, a righteous and wise one, will wound when necessary, even though it's far easier to kiss. One more proverb in this category, Proverbs 27.9. The sweetness of a friend comes from, not his jokes, not just the fact that they give you time, that they'll listen to you, but from his earnest counsel, from his willingness to speak and say hard things from his heart because he genuinely cares about you. May God make us those kinds of friends. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, don't know that I can agree completely with the middle line theologically, but I, I think I know what he's pressing out. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. The Christ in his own heart is weaker, or at least the sense of Christ and the nearness of Christ when people are struggling, than Christ is in, sensed in the word of the brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is sure. Two final ones. And righteous words help combat evil and defend righteousness or defend the helpless, the needy. Two proverbs late in the book both highlight this. Whoever says to a wicked person or a sinner doing something wrong, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. When we're willing to call a spade a spade and not fold under pressure to the wicked and just say that what they're doing is okay. It's Isaiah speaks of the refusal to call evil good and to be willing to stand against it. And certainly our day may be coming more and more for that. And then Proverbs 31 open your mouth. It's not okay to stay silent. Open your mouth for the mute for the rights of all those who are destitute. 
Open your mouth again. Judge righteously. Discern fairness in this. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And we will often open our mouths to defend our rights or perceived rights and our families. But God wants us also to wisely be a voice for the voiceless and the powerless and the needy and the hurting. And finally, though there are many more categories, and in some intriguing proverbs about the carefulness that the wise and righteous are with their words in the company of fools. And think of this both in person and online for those of you who post things online. Proverbs 14.33 says that wisdom makes itself known even in the midst of fools. Like it should stand out in sharp contrast. It will almost often sound weird around fools. Proverbs 23.9 warns us, don't speak in the hearing of a fool because he'll despise the good sense of your words. And uh, Jesus' words in Matthew 7.6 about not casting our pearls before swine who will simply trample them underfoot because they have no value to them came to mind here as well. And then Proverbs 26, back-to-back Proverbs that are puzzling, and God's not contradicting himself, but simply saying you need discernment here. Sometimes don't answer a fool lest you become like him. And sometimes answer a fool lest he be wise in his own eyes. God help us be discerning around the increasing number of fools in our world. Closing thoughts, and I've got a lot of them. Our last words about words in Proverbs. And I want to go back, first of all, I have four points that I think will squeeze into five or six minutes here. I want to go back to Proverbs 18.21, and first of all, hopefully help you see a connection, at least that I see, with 1 Peter 2.24, as you know, one of my very, very, very favorite gospel verses. Peter says, and he's reminding us here, of the gospel's power to change the way we live and the way we talk. Christ bore the punishment in his body on the tree for all the sins of our mouths. Let's just think of it in that way. He paid an incredible price for the unfathomable number of sins that we've spoken with our mouths or written with our hands so that he could forgive them all. And for that, for the first half of that verse, let us forever, daily, thank him and praise him. But he did it with another purpose in mind. As Elizabeth Elliot reminds us, when Jesus Christ died for us, it was not primarily to save us from the punishment of our sins. It was to save us from sin, from sinning, from living in sin in any way. So Peter goes on to explain two ways, and if you just think of the power of the tongue to to cause death and the power of the tongue to bring life. Christ died so that we would die to all of our life-depleting words, all the ways we speak, all the words we utter that have no real value to God and his purposes. And on top of that, to live to righteousness, to more and more and more throughout our lives speak Christ-like 
Christ-honoring, life-enriching words. In our homes, where some of us, if we're honest, is the hardest place of all for us to control our tongues. In all of our relationships and social interactions, in all of our vocational interactions, and in all of our church body and its life and interactions as well. Second concluding point. Still with Proverbs 18.21. We've spent all of last week and this week highlighting the first half of the proverb. But now let's spend just a couple of moments on the second half of the proverb, which has an intriguing word picture. Those who love the power of the tongue, those who come to realize how much power the tongue has, if they use it well, if they harness it in Christ and in the Spirit, will eat its fruit. Similarly, Proverbs 12, 14, Proverbs 13, 2, Proverbs 18, 20, all speak of this satisfying, enjoying benefit of the fruit of well-spoken or wise or righteous words. The point being that God has ordered things so that those who bless him and others with their speech also, in most cases, receive blessing in return. So I remind you again here of a New Testament principle that we'll remind each other of often because it's so proverbial. Don't deceive yourself. Even if you feel like in the moment your foolish words are winning the day for you. God will never be mocked in the long run, not in the end. Whatever you sow, however you speak, you will reap either the pain or the blessings and joy as a result. And in all of this, I cannot emphasize enough how important the Holy Spirit is to living out these proverbs of speech, how important all the counsel of God is for the word of God in us is what will bring the beautiful words out of us. And I cannot emphasize how important the gospel is throughout this as well. Third concluding point, and I want to say especially to those of you who are just by nature more talkative. It's not bad in and of itself. God can use you in amazing ways. But also to those of you who may not normally speak a lot of words, but your vocation or your parenting or whatever it is requires that you do. Note these Proverbs. 10.19, a reminder from last week. Whenever words are many, or the more words there are that we speak, transgression is not lacking, or sin increases. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. 11.12, a man of understanding remains silent. 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Proverbs 17.27 and 28, Whoever restrains his word has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit, doesn't easily get heated, is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And 29, 11, A fool gives full vent to his spirit. Maybe often, most often in his own home but a wise man quietly holds it back. 
and a much less proverb, much lesser significant one. I think Will Rogers said this, never miss a good chance to shut up. And finally, and this again is a principle not just for words, though we'll apply it today to words, but for all of our change. That God is not simply looking for an exterior cleaning up of our lives or behavior modification. But ultimately, what he values and ultimately what lasts is heart transformation. He doesn't just call us to try harder. He calls us to lean even more on him and his spirit and his word and his power. Jesus himself said in Matthew 12 that it's out of the abundance, our heart spilling out, whatever's in there, the mouth speaks. Our, our words reflect, whether we want to admit it or not, the spiritual condition of our hearts. Jackie Hill Perry, quote I saw just this week that seems to fit here. If you want to know how your heart really is, pay attention to the words your heart produces. So don't just target cleaning up your words or your mouth, but target your heart. Proverbs 4.23, one of the best-known Proverbs says, Keep, watch, guard your heart with all vigilance. Oh, so carefully. Because out of that flow the springs of life. Or, as James 3 told us, the poison and fire that is in there as well. Proverbs 19.14, we finished last week, but this week we can see how the, whatever our heart is meditating on, well, however our communion with the, with the Lord is in a given situation, is what will determine most of all the words that come out of our mouth. So may they, as many Proverbs noted, be acceptable, be apt, be appropriate, be wise, be righteous in your sight, O Lord. My rock, and here comes the gospel again, my Redeemer. Father, again, we thank you for the book of Proverbs. We thank you for every proverb that you have noted. And though we have gone quickly over these, I pray that you will, in each heart and life here, soak and saturate into our hearts and lives more and more some of these truths. We long again, Lord, that we will die to sin because of Christ dying for us, the sins of our mouths, and that we will live to righteousness, that we will speak rather than life-depleting words, life-enriching words, everywhere we go, spreading the fragrance of the grace of our beautiful, glorious, perfect, perfect speaking, Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. We pray in your name. Amen.